So settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. This is Snooker Club. This is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Hello and welcome again to Snooker Club. My name's Mark Watson. I am with Stephen Hendry and between us we've got seven World Championship titles, five UK Championship titles, six Masters titles. Uh, we don't need to break down exactly who's got what. On today's show, former football ref Mike Dean will be joining us to discuss his love of snooker and how technology could improve snooker or maybe make it worse, to be fair, in the future. Mike will also be taking on our quiz after Eddie Hearn eventually got us into double figures on our last show. And we'll be asking if anyone can stop Judd Trump after he claimed his third successive ranking title in Belfast. We'll also be dishing out some more Snooker Club membership cards in our always lively correspondence section. So without further ado, welcome to episode four of Snooker Club. How are you doing, Stephen? Pretty good. How's the last couple of weeks been? Yeah, all right. The first thing to say is that we received um, some criticism from uh, professional snooker player Sean Murphy last week he said that we looked as if we got dressed in the dark i don't know if you saw that it's especially <laughs> hit hard when you think that we were so complimentary about his smell uh last week so I've, I've put on one of the only shirts that i wear um even in my own home purely to try and impress sean and we'll see what kind of feedback we get i think sean will probably sniff at a hoodie i, I don't i don't think he's a hoodie type guy i can't imagine we're, we're wearing a hoodie driving his rolls royce no but, but let's not turn us into a sean murphy battering podcast <laughs> by no means a battering i want us to i want us to find common ground with murphy over the next couple of weeks <laughs> and uh, keep your emails coming in let us know what items you can and cannot imagine sean murphy wearing in his rolls royce um well i've just come off a sleeper train i've been in your in your territory up in scotland um for the week in fact i was in sterling and i had a look for that the snooker club where you uh, it's not there famous. anymore, is it? No, it is not. No, they've burned it's it to the ground. There, no. You would have thought there'd be some sort of plaque there. They've just got nonsense like a <laughs> castle and city walls and stuff. Yeah, no, 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 no plaque. I think it's some sort of retail retail park now, um, something like that. But yeah, it was um, John Spencer Snooker Club. That's what yeah. it was called. That's where I used to practice in Sterling. Yeah, I remembered because it came up in the last week. Someone had, um, well, done a wee next to you shortly after your historic achievement. But uh, oh, yes, not historic <laughs> enough for them to have kept the, the club going, as we say. So there you go. It's lucky we've got our virtual snooker club, at least. Did Did you have any haggis? That's the big question. I did. Haggis was part of the uh, the full Scottish breakfast haggis in the supper? hotel. I didn't go for the haggis supper. I did also oh. have a, um, a burger, a deep fried burger, which was not not what i ordered it's just how it came and i, I wasn't brave enough to i, I was too english to say I, I don't really want this batter on my burger pal that was in glasgow and i thought i'd better just kind of keep my head down but it was a very nice week um it's got incredibly wet it's the weather was um mm. absolutely mad flooding everywhere yeah but i know it really, nice. really got in the way of my practice no golf um that was the rain <laughs> yeah now you were saying on the last episode that as the weather worsened you were going to commit harder to uh to snooker has, has that happened yet um, no, but I have got a good excuse because I don't know if, if, if anyone um, was watching my uh, YouTube channel last night. Uh, John Paris has made me a couple of new cues because uh-huh. um, the one that I've been using since, well, since about 2008, 2009 is actually so bent now that it's, I can't really use it. Um, so I've got two new cues. So that will give me a um, an excuse to practice. I've got to get used Great. to a new cue. And actually, obviously, we spent a lot of the last episode talking about your plans to try and get to Belfast. You, you weren't far short in the end. You were winning 
And was it a, a oh. respotted black that cost you? Well, I, I was I was two one ahead, Mark, and I should have yeah. gone three one ahead. I, I had chances yeah. to go three one, and, and then three one, you only need one more frame, a good chance of winning. Threw that away. Uh, the respotted black, the cue ball went in off, um, and then um, yeah, lost the last two frames, so didn't make it to Northern Ireland. It but um, I, I mean, it's it's like why did any anyone else bother to go to Northern Ireland? I mean, Judd Trump's just winning everything. Well, yeah, it feels like this is a Judge Trump podcast these days, basically. Every time we do another episode, he's just won another trophy. I mean, this is an unbelievable streak now for him. He just seems to be invincible at the moment. Not many people have won three back-to-back, I don't think, three ranking tournaments. Yeah, there was a World Snooker post. I think um, him, himself, he joined myself, Steve Davis, Ray Reardon, and Ding Jun Wee um, as the only players in history have done three ranking tournaments in a row. Um, I may have done four. People will write in and correct us, please. Um, I'm sure they'll <laughs> take great delight and prove me wrong if I am. Fair play. So Trump is approaching that sort of level of um, unstoppability. And he's just, he seems to be doing it with ease as well. He wasn't, it was, the hmm. final was fairly one-sided against Chris Wakelin, who obviously something of a shock finalist. Yeah, he beat, I mean, Jack Lazowski beat Jack Lazowski 6-1 in the semi-final. So obviously he was playing really well. But I think um, he's played Judd before the final 11 times and not beaten him. So he's the last person that he wanted to meet in the final. Is someone that's that got he's 11 out of 11. That's the last thing you want. That that was that that was not going to bode well for, for Chris. But Judd's just on a crest of a wave. He's full of confidence. And he's got the, the most important aspect, I think, in certainly in, in any sportsman, but an individual one, is greed greedy you gotta be greedy yeah. for more tournaments and when it, and he's like he's, he's winning one on a sunday night and on a monday morning he's waking up and saying okay where's next what's next to win yeah i'm just glancing down at my notes and it turns out you actually did win five in a row uh on one occasion and you're the only person i'm pretending i didn't that. know that i try to say four <laughs> to, to try and sound humble it's very difficult yeah. for me but <laughs> yeah humility yep in 1990 you put a streak of five uh together as you say trump joins only four of the players that have done Three in a row. Mm. Interesting competition, wasn't it? Uh, we've talked a lot about Mark Allen, but he was knocked out by uh, Petrov, the mm. um, Estonian. There were there were some surprises like that early on, and then and, and the surprises kept on all the way to the to the final. In a way, Wakelin had a hell of a run. Yeah, it's 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 obviously best of sevens um, can provide shock results because it's quite a quick match. But by the time you get to the quarterfinals, becomes best of nine. Then then you kind of like. Um, you don't expect so many shock results, but I think mm. it's the way the way the way the game's going now. You're seeing you're starting to see more players reaching the finals that you don't that you don't really expect. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I I I don't really know how to explain. I mean, there's a lot of top players not playing well. You have to say that. I mean, Robertson. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's happened to Robertson at the moment. Mark Allen, you say he lost early. Uh, Ronnie didn't play. Um, Sean Murphy, Mark Williams, all, all these guys not going there allowed for, for more shot results. But yeah, a lot of the top players are not performing. And meanwhile, Trump is just taking full advantage of this. How good do you think he could get in terms of the history of the of the game? Well, well I mean, what, I mean, you're, you're flying, obviously. I mean, <laughs> we said another thing last week. I mean, the crowds were fantastic. I think there were there were a yeah. huge a huge way up on, on on last year. So that that sort of inspires players like Judd Trump as well. You know, you like to play in, in sort of full arenas, and the waterfront is somewhere where I've played uh, two or three exhibitions in, and it's a fantastic atmosphere. So that sort of inspires Judd. I think when you're you get in the habit of winning and you get in the habit of losing. And at the moment, Judd is in the habit of winning and he just, the game is just easy to him and it's a great place to be. It must be a lovely feeling. It must be a feeling that you remember um, mm. vaguely. <laughs> well, as, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like a different lifetime ago, but um, yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> as you say, um, ticket sales were up 
22% on last year and 40% up the broadcast figures. So, I mean, it's interesting. We, t- we, had, we had a fair old chat with, with Eddie about making it attractive to a different audience and all the rest of it. But the, the actual attendance, if you get the venue right, you know, snooker's still in a pretty good place ticket-wise. That's, that's yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. They'll get the venue right. Because I think I work for, for this, a lot of the ITV events, uh, do four or five events, and they're changing venues almost by year, year by year. Um, tournaments need to get an identity. They need to find a venue and get it, and then then people know where where and when it is. So yep. Northern Ireland Northern Ireland's got that now, the Waterfront Arena in Belfast. So people know where it's going to be, when it's going to be, and that's it's so important to as as, as you know get getting an identity for a tournament. Yeah, I've saw people saying that the Republic of Ireland should have another a major tournament. Well, yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean Republic Ireland would be be another great place to start. Um, because there's so many players from there. Yeah, and the Irish know how to um, how to put on a show. Obviously, snooker wise. I'm sure Ken um, wants a tournament called the Ken Doherty Trophy. I mean, surely he's, he's, he feels he's missing out. Yeah, You've got the, the Alan Sickens, the Stephen Hendry, the Reardon, the Davis. <laughs> surely, what what does Ken? He's, he's he chairman of the Players Association. Surely he can get that done. <laughs> yeah, what, what's the point of holding power like that if you can't make it about exactly. yourself? Exactly. Well, um, not for the first time on this podcast, we are having to catch up with uh, Judd Trump. Phil Seymour spoke to him after the trophy celebrations. Judd Trump, the 2023 Bet Victor Northern Ireland Open champion. How are you feeling right now, Judd? A bit, a bit surprised, really. It kind of, it's just blending in and is in one big tournament. It just feels like I've won 20 matches in one event. I've only won one tournament. That's what it kind of feels like to me, just because it's happened so quick, I think. Um, it's not like the tournaments have been spaced out, so bit surreal really and um, not not sunk in but I think the last session of that final was probably the, say as close to the the best I've felt in the whole period the whole, the whole um, 20 game run really I felt really really good really sharp. Talking of the great arena you came out tonight the crowd ripped the roof off the waterfront hall here in Belfast they are special here aren't they? Yeah, I think it's down to your great work before, rallying them up, getting them a bit excited for our game. And um, yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure to come here and play. But when it gets down to that, that one table set up, I think it does help as well when, when you're able to kind of build up the game when you're, when you're in there. It just makes for a, a different atmosphere when you're backstage. You can kind of hear when you're first to go out 20 minutes before and, and it kind of... It's a bit different in this event because the players are quite far away but sometimes we're in the arena and we can kind of hear it and it's such a pleasure just to hear the excitement when you go out there and I think the the first session of the final is always good but that second session you've got to really take in those moments and, and enjoy them and, um, and remember them for the rest of your life, yeah. I'm Stephen Hendry. I'm Mark Watson. And this is Snooker Club, the official World Snooker Tour podcast. So obviously these tournaments aren't always just about the winners. There are little storylines and, you know, players come through and there's excitement for their futures. Um, it's about time we talked about Stan Moody, who um, got into the last 16, put a run of wins together, and but he's 17. Mm. So one of the youngest players we've seen play at this level for quite some time. 
Yeah, he, he likes the big occasion. He likes being on the match table. That's that's one of the most important ingredients. You've got to enjoy being out there and being the focus of attention. He's obviously got, you know, a, a lot of learning to do and, 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 you know, playing against the top players, starting to beat the top players. Um, you look at the way all sports are going around the world, golf, tennis and that. He's 17, but he's already at the age where he needs to start performing, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so it's he's, he's got to he's got to start learning quick how to beat the top players. When you're that young, is it are these big occasions a bit overwhelming, or is it the opposite? Do you sort of not feel the pressure of it because you've just kind of got that fearlessness? Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, you've got to enjoy it. I mean, I, I always manage to play my best snooker under the, the sort of the most pressure uh, surroundings. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I struggled when there was a sort of in a table with nobody watching. So I love being out there. And I think watching Stan, I think he does enjoy it. It's all about getting getting to that next next level. He's got to be, he's got to be getting to last 16s quarterfinals regularly now for me um, to keep that momentum up and to keep improving. What is it that when you say he's got to, he's got to get in the in the habit of beating the absolute top players? What is that extra 10? percent Is it is it more tactics or is it just consistency or or the big you know getting it right at the big moment or? It's just about taking your chances, basically. That's what you have to do against the top players. That's all. It's all, all, all what it is. You've got to, you've got to be winning frames in one visit to put them under pressure. It's playing against the best. Um, you know, I, I mean, it is the, the game is different. The game is tougher at that level than, than when when I was the same age. Um, I think the players I was I was playing against, although they were the top players of the time, they wouldn't be scoring as heavily as the top players are now. No. So that's that's what I mean. That's why I put the emphasis on Stan's got to take his chances when I get him. You've got to score heavily. Um, he knows that. He knows what he has to do to win. And it'll be interesting to see how he, how he progresses this season. Because I suppose you were at that age. You were already up there, right? Well, I, I won my first rank in tournament at 18, um, the Rothmans yes, Grand Prix. Um, so, so, yeah, I was a very sort of quick learner. And I think that's another thing that you have to be. You have to, even if you're losing, you've got to be learning from it and thinking, you know, maybe even watch the matches back and say, where did I go wrong? Where could yep. I have been, where could may, maybe my shot choice have been better? Or was, it, was I not aggressive enough? Was I too aggressive? And you've got to learn and you've got to learn quickly. He probably can watch it back because he's a teenager. He's probably videoing the whole game on his phone or something. They probably, <laughs> have, to, they probably have to get him off his screen when it's his turn to play a shot. When, when, when do you start with stand-up? I mean, surely not well, at 17. No, I wasn't. There are some very young ones coming through now. I was 23, 20, 23 when I started doing it. Um, right. I, I did a bit of competitive sport. Um, when I was Stan Moody's age, I, I won the Bristol Computer Football really? Tournament. Which, yeah, um, I'm sure I don't need to tell <laughs> listeners that. It's a famous competition. I won it one year. and But in fact, it's funny what you said about you played your best stuff under pressure because I... I crumbled under the pressure a bit um i went through to a national it was a game called sensible world of soccer and i went through to a national tournament which was in wales but they played the semis up on a massive like cinema style screen and uh got absolutely thrashed bottled it when it really mattered. that was sort of the end of my it's funny because i mean i won i think i won third there was a trophy and something like 30 quid for winning it but and of course in those days your parents and teachers would have said you there is no future in you're wasting your time playing against, but the people that play FIFA now, you can make more money than the real sports well, I, people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just phenomenal. This and the, and the skill involved is, is incredible. It just goes goes way over my head. But when I started playing snooker, sort of 14, 15, in the leagues in Scotland, some of the the, the teams were at the like British Legions, and I had to be smuggled in and smuggled out because you had to be eighteen <laughs> to be in them. So I presume it'd be the same if you're a teenage comic. You're playing in it with a deep voice and uh, like. <laughs> Just drinking water. Well, yeah, actually, there's there is a student comedy competition which uh, I which I hosted the final of this year, and yeah, it is the same thing. It's uh, the final was a licensed premises, so 
we had to claim a couple of people were over 18 when they actually weren't. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're a young prodigy if you're not even legally allowed in the building where the, where the tournament's. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose some of the material as well has got to be sort of if you're 17. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is the thing. There are a lot of really, there are a lot of really good young comics out there, but part of being a comedian is um, you've got to have lived a bit or you haven't got that much to, yeah. to talk about. There is, so, I've seen some really, like really talented teenage comics, but a lot of their material is just like, so, you know, when your mum wants you to make your bed and you just you can't be bothered because that's all, <laughs> pretty much all you've got to talk about at that stage. <laughs> you know, when you get in at midnight and you're in trouble. So yeah, some yeah. people you look at them and think, but I suppose the difference is, yeah, with comedy, you do have quite a long time to develop your act and mature. And like you, if you keep at it for 10 years, you're, you're bound to improve. Whereas as you say, for sport, your window of getting, to an excellent level is is quite small and then someone else yeah. comes along well yes i mean it's in sports i say if you if, if you're not doing it, someone else is doing it um yeah. it's, it's, it's so it's so cutthroat and that's what um young stan's obviously got to he's, he's got to impose himself as because it, let's be honest i mean there's not really any more a lot of young talent um from from our shores coming through really i mean most of the sort of younger no. talent is, is are chinese so it's it's good to see someone from from you know UK and you know coming coming through and and, and imposing themselves on the game. Yeah, I think this is partly why so many people are talking about Moody. We've not seen a kid, a British kid, uh, you know, hit that level for a while. There's uh, what's his name, Jackson Page. Um, yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's still... been around a while. He's been around a while, and yeah. I, always, I always imagine Stan Moody like does he travel in the back of Sean Murphy's Rolls Royce because he's a yeah. bit of a mini me, isn't he? I mean, they do, they even do look very him. much. I don't reckon Murphy would have him in the front. I think he's <laughs> he's in the back and he's not allowed to have a packet of crisps in case he gets it on Sean's upholstery. Yeah, we better leave off Sean Murphy. We better leave. Oh, off it's Sean. all it's only because we want his, we want his attention. We want more snooker players listening. <laughs> Murphy's given us a little bit of he's given us a bite. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jed Trump, and whenever I'm flying around the world, I listen to the World Snooker Tour podcast, the Snooker Club. Well, with Belfast complete, the tour returns to China for the final time this calendar year for the International Championship in Tianjin. My old mate Ken Doherty is qualified for the event, so we put his knowledge of China's seventh largest city and his beloved home city of Dublin to the test in a game we like to call Dublin or Tianjin. So we're here with Ken Doherty for the Snooker Club podcast. First of all, Ken, we're here to pr help promote the uh, international championships. How good is it to, to be out in China yet again? That's fantastic. You know, we had that uh, you know small little hiatus uh, where we now tournaments, but it's great to be back. The crowds are back, and uh, yeah, another big tournament, the international championship, back on our snooker calendar. Uh, it's great for the tour, it's great for the players, and a great indeed for the fans, of course and the supporters back in uh, China. Absolutely. Uh, so you are, you know, an Irish band, a Dublin boy. Yeah. Um, we're going to be doing a little thing called Dublin or Tianjin uh, okay. today. Um, so we're going to give you some facts, um, some highers or lowers. Okay. And uh, yeah, basically whether you think the higher is Tianjin or the higher is Dublin. Okay. Um, so first of all, uh, start off easy. Uh, which uh, city has the highest population, Dublin or Tianjin? Oh, definitely it has to be Tianjin. <laughs> Do you have an estimation? Uh, I don't, but I presume, like, I mean, Dublin is probably about one and a half, but Tianjin could be maybe six times more than that. Yeah, well, so Dublin's actually 592,000. Dublin? Yeah, and Tianjin is 13.8 million. I think Dublin, Dublin can't be 592,000. This from our fact checkers, it may or may not be correct. <laughs> Blame no, them. definitely. No, I'm not having that. <laughs> Which has a higher GDP per capita in US dollars? 
Oh, I would have to say Dublin. Dublin uh, has 115,000 to 217,700. So yeah, you're two out of two. Uh, which is the higher elevation of sea level, Dublin or Tianjin? Oh, that's a good one. I know Tianjin is quite north. Dublin, pretty flat. So I'll have to go with Tianjin. Tianjin is five meters above sea level. Dublin is 20. So oh, Dublin's just a little bit higher. Okay. Uh, Question number four, which has a higher average temperature in November, which of course is the month where this uh, tournament will be taking place. Well, I'm I presume Tianjin is a lot colder than Dublin, so I would say that Dublin has a higher temperature in November. Yeah, just about 7.3, uh, Tianjin's at 5.5. Okay. And finally, so this isn't, uh, I'll give you within 200 miles. <laughs> what, okay. what is the distance as the crow flies between Dublin and Tianjin? Oh, what a question. I would say it must be 6,000 miles. You're close. I can't give it to you. It's 5,210. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> We're I, not too I, far. Okay. That's a bit harsh. Yeah, Ken, it's been a pleasure and best of luck uh, against Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Round. Looking forward to it. All right, cheers, guys. I'm sure he's quaking in his boots. The international championship gets underway next week and the tour then returns to Britain for the champion of champions, then the Mr. Q UK championship and then the Scottish Open where uh, tickets are now available. As always, it's wst.tv slash tickets. If you look at where the rankings are, it's quite interesting. There's a two year list which mm. is used for seeding for all tournaments apart from the, the World Grand Prix, the Players Championship and the Tour Championship, which is a, a one year list. And I mean, obviously, Trump is where you'd expect him to be at number one. Mm. Mark Williams is second, but some of the big names are surprisingly do, uh, low down the list. It's quite mm. volatile. It's, you, you have to be consistent. Um, and it some of the volatile. top players who maybe not, don't enter all the tournaments, um, it puts pressure on the tournaments they do enter to do well. Yeah, like you're scrolling down to find Ronnie. He's 33rd in the rankings, which obviously when you look at how good he is, seems mad. But that's just about, well, I suppose in his case, it's about entering <laughs> entering the tournaments. Yeah, I don't think Ronnie looks so much at the rankings anymore. Obviously, I mean, it's it, it's nice to be world number one and be right up the top. But I think for Ronnie now, it's about getting as many sort of big wins now. Um, you know, yeah. he's obviously near the end of his career than the start. So it's all about adding these marquee events. And I think, you know, things like, you know, he, he won the Shanghai Masters, which was a huge event. Events like that it's really get his, gets his juices flowing. Um, yeah. But, the, yeah. but you, you've got to be careful because, it, it, if, you know, the rankings, if you, if you don't qualify for the player series, which is the, the big tournaments on ITV, then all of a sudden you've got huge gaps in the season yeah. where, where you're inactive and you're not playing. And there's hungry, there's players coming up all the time. As you say, volatile is the word. Chris Wakelin goes up to sixth uh, following that run to the final in Northern Ireland, for example. Whereas Mark Allen's down in 22, just having a, a look here. You know, Luca is the world champion, but he's 59th in the in the rankings yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously we've got to th say that these these are one on the on the one year on this season, and 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 it's and there's a long way to go. But by the same token, you know, going back to this this ITV series, you know, you, you've got to be to get to get in the first one, you've got to be in the top 32 in the one season. So the Grand Prix, yeah. um, which is in January, so you've got to get yourself into the top 32 to be able to play in that. But you want to be higher than that because you want to be guaranteeing yourself in the next one, the Players' Championship, which is top 16 on the one-year list. These are these are sort of big events. These are sort of marquee events on ITV. And obviously, you know, we like to see the top players in these events. So it's a worry for, for, for the events not to have the sort of top players involved as well. Yeah. 
Hi, I'm Mark Selby, and when I'm cooking chicken pitas, I always listen to WST's official podcast, Snooker Club. Welcome back to Snooker Club with me, Mark Watson and Stephen Hendry. And thanks as ever to everyone that's got in touch with us, snookerclub at wst.tv. We had a lovely message of uh, appreciation from Brian McGovern in Navan Ireland. Thank you, Brian. You are now uh, a virtual member of the Snooker Club. Uh, we asked last week for your dream sponsors, if that sponsorship entitled you to a lifetime supply of something. Um, a couple of players have been in touch, including 15-year-old player Vladislav Gradinari, uh, who's gone for Rolex. That's quite a high-octane sponsor for 15-year-old. How many Rolex watches are you going to get through? <laughs> I enjoy the ambition, though. Uh, Ryan Thomason says a bank, so he's presumably just thinking of a lifetime supply of money, which is one way of doing it, I suppose. <laughs> Not sure that sense. is how it works. Yeah, I don't think banks just give you free money if you wear, wear the name on the waistcoat, <laughs> but maybe. Loads of cars came up. A couple of people, Brendan and Louis, both said Paris Qs. And then Nis- Jenny said Nespresso. I don't know if you want to be pumped full of coffee playing at the match, do you? Peanut M&Ms, I think I'd, I'd want. Really? Is that that was your uh, <laughs> bit crunchy next to the table, though? Or you get into trouble yeah. for eating those, surely. <laughs> Kelly said Brewdog, which, again, don't know how much of that you'd want to have before a game. Although we've said before, a couple of players like to have one to, uh, to settle the nerves. Emmy said Penguin Books, which is an interesting one. Um, Guinness from Finchie. And Zach said PlayStation, which is all very well. But if you get too much into that, you're not going to be a snooker player at all, probably. We're still talking about random encounters with snooker players and, and sightings. Uh, Lewis Rogers, welcome to Snooker Club, Lewis. There's your virtual membership. Uh, Lewis says, uh, I once saw Anthony McGill in Zara in Glasgow City Centre. We were both with our girlfriends and we both looked as bored as anything. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Another classic in the underwhelming encounters with Snooker <laughs> And Alex McMillan's got in touch. Um, he says, loving the show. It's going to be great. This is a bit of support for you, Stephen. It's going to be great charting Henry's inevitable rise through the gears over the remainder of the season. Well, we've said you've got close in Northern Ireland. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it's not from second gear to reverse. No, <laughs> yeah, you, you can go either way through the gears, it's true. Mm. Um, Macmillan says, um, well, for the sake of starting a debate, his top five, or it could be her, I suppose, but their top five uh, players of all time, O'Sullivan, Selby, Higgins, Hendry, and then Davis. So, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you belong below Higgins? I suppose he's had a very long career. Well, I mean, I, I think this is a this is a, a, a terrible subject. I mean, to to have me fourth, I think we should forget this straight away. This is not this is no, there's no future in having a top five if I'm going to be on fourth. And it's, let's just get rid of it now. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> my notes do say ask people to send in their top fives, but shall we put an immediate end to that? No, listen, everyone's before? everyone's got their opinions and entitled to it. Uh, whether I agree with them is a different matter. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to get in touch with your top five of all time, uh, but Stephen has to be number one. So you're, you're top four <laughs> below Stephen Hendry. Um, and interested to hear your reasoning as well. Do get in touch with us. You know, it's always difficult to rank players uh, against each other. What? How would you uh, class, well, Stephen against, uh, you know, Davis, uh, Selby, are there players coming through you think will be in the top five of all time, like we've talked about Trump. All of this uh, stuff... Let us know at snookerclub at wst.tv or get in touch on social media. Just uh, search for World Snooker Tour on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Always interested to hear how you rank snooker players by whatever. Just be bear in mind that Henry always needs to be pretty high up there, otherwise we won't read them out. <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Luca Brassel, and when I'm driving around in a Ferrari, I love listening to the WST official podcast, The Snooker Club. We've reached the point in the podcast where we welcome a, a guest, a celebrity snooker fan, and we're joined this week by, uh, well, one of Britain's uh, best-known referees, Premier League referee, officiated over 500 games, in fact, in England's top tier. It's Mike Dean. Hi, Mike. Hi, mate. You okay? Everybody all right? Hi, Mike. How are you doing? You've been retired for a few months now. Um, do you miss it? Uh, I, I missed the referee for the first couple of months. Obviously, I, I, won't, I won't lie about that because obviously when the fixtures come out every Monday or Tuesday at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, you see the game, you think, oh, I could have been doing that game, could have been doing that game. But after two or three months, you, you kind of not lose interest, but you move on to different things. And I think that it comes to us all, Stephen, as you know, with regards of age, you can't you, you can't go on forever. And I was I was 53, probably going to retire one year before, but one or two things happened. They asked me to stay for another year, but I was 54 when I retired. I mean, my knees aren't the best anymore. My back's not, a, not, not the best, you know. So it catches up on you in the end, mate, and you don't make a decision. But uh, one way or the other, I chose to, chose to retire and move into the, unfortunately, into the VAR situation, which wasn't, the, wasn't, which wasn't my best move. You say it comes to us all, but Stephen still is entering tournaments on the slide, whereas we don't see Mike sneaking onto the, the pitch and refereeing. No, I, no, I can't, because I can't do it, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, is it, it's a bit of a weird time to have to have moved up uh, to, the, to the back room, as it were, Mike, because of the amount of scrutiny there is over every single game now. There's some, there's some. a. How, how do you feel about the way VAR is just a conversation that keeps coming up again and again? I think it's always going to come up. I, I moved into it because they wanted some dedicated VARs to take up the role and do it every week. Um, job I enjoyed. I, I really did enjoy it. One or two things didn't work out right. One or two decisions, but that happens in every every walk of life, in any sport, in, in any environment, really. Um, and I just come when, when Howard Webb took over in, in Christmas of last year, I just decided it wasn't for me. So I kind of stayed till February and then just went into coaching. And I wish I'd have gone coaching referees in League 1 and League 2 and then the National League a lot, a lot early because I quite thoroughly enjoyed myself. Got myself back into the buzz of, of football again, which is really good some of did miss. There's so much criticism of refs and abuse and everything like that. Is it hard to, to recruit the kind of up-and-coming refs or is there still a supply of them? Uh, there's, there's a small band of referees that could make it. There's a couple of guys refereeing on the Premier League now, Sam Barrett, who's, who's it's his first year on. He's had three games on the bounce and he's doing okay. But I think... The problem we've had with a few issues we had with the VAR this year, the, the, the more experienced guys in the VAR hub trying to get that sorted first and then um, fingers crossed and get some more young refs coming through from League 1 and League 2 and push them on for the future because, you know, there's seven or eight top referees of experience retired over the last three or four years and, you know, we need strength in depth sometimes and at the moment we haven't got it. Mike, I was going to say, obviously, with the, the technology in, in, in football, we have it in snooker where when balls need replaced the referee automatically looks to the, the partner and then we go to a camera screen, which obviously delays things. Um, I remember in the old days, the likes of John Williams, Len Ganley, it was their word and you just had to take it. Yeah, you now, just say, I reckon it was about there. <laughs> yeah, but now the players, just, they, they, they sort of argue with the refs, know the ball should have been there. Is, is that the same in football? Do you, you, do you prefer it when it was just your word and they just just get on with it? I, I, did, I did at first. I mean, when, when VR first came in, when I was still refereeing, I, I didn't like it because I, I refereed for... 18, 19 years, and then somebody says, oh, you've made a decision, got to go look at a TV screen. Probably the same for you guys when you were playing snooker, but, you know, you, you were happy that, you know, you sat in your chair, the, the referee put the ball down, as you said, John Williams all there, put the ball down. But I think the way every sport's evolving now, Steve, technology's going to come in, in, in every sport. And um, 
the VR will evolve. I think snooker will probably get there'll be more things involved in snooker. I would guess you probably know more than me that you know, mm-hmm. in the next few years there'll be different things happening. And I think that you know it, it's what the general public want to hear or want to see. They want to see fairness in everything. And I know mm-hmm. snooker's a bit different with the balls a millimeter one way or the other, but it, it does affect every every sport now. And I think that um, it's just the way forward. We've kind of just got to get our heads around it and just embrace it. Just hoping that it isn't Stephen in charge of the technology when it comes into snooker. <laughs> well, you never know, do you? We don't want to be waiting 20 minutes for him to log on to check whether the black hole is <laughs> in the right spot. Yeah. No, I think the technology is good because we, we get the balls replaced exactly where they should be. And that, and that's good, especially mm. a, 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 a game like snooker where you're dealing in fractions it is really important. Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask, because I remember I came into snooker um, with, with the late, great Alex Higgins. Um, now, late, great. I'm sure a lot of the referees and that wouldn't agree with that. He used to give referees terrible, terrible stick. Um, to which yeah. I think John Williams, Alex even complained with John Williams was standing behind him. He said so yeah. he had nowhere to go. So I presume you the same with footballers. Certain footballers that just got on your nerves. Yeah, there's one or two. I think I'm very general. No, I'll just doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm done and dusted now. Right? So you can name names because you're really good. Um, I mean, Craig Bellamy. I used to find Craig so so hard to referee. I mean. Everybody asked me the question, he was the hardest player or the most difficult player to, to, um, to referee, and it was probably him. But I understand why it was like that, because you know, he's, he's geared himself up for the whole week to like to try and win a game of football. Crosses that white line at 3 o'clock, between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, it was just a nightmare. But come the final whistle, he's just a different different person. It's the same in any sport. You, you're that focused in winning, you, you've got blinkers on, you want everything to do well, snooker darts, and any kind of sport to say, you just want to win the game, and then... When you finish your frame or you finish your game of football, you kind of like relax a little bit. You probably go and talk to people, you know, backstage or whatever, or, or in the dressing Exactly the same as what it was with footballers. Do you think you ever got as a ref? Have you ever got a sort of unconscious bias? Like you, you, there's certain players you think he's going to be trouble, or do you just try and have like a clean slate whenever you go out there? I think you can't go in and preempt what's going to happen, but I think we all do our homework about you know which which players could cause you trouble. And we've all got access to all kinds of information now that we didn't have 10 years ago we know we've got access to to, to white scout where you can go on and look at like players movements players set up for free kicks and things so we're trying just trying to get one step ahead of them that's all mike what um what is your snooker like you're a, a snooker fan what was your highest break can yeah. you play no i, I can't play I, I love watching it i mean i've got i've got a place in spain i've got a pool table in spain i try and play that when i go out there but i don't play snooker as much as i used to years ago but it's just something I used to like from, from, from growing up as a kid. You know, when I was growing up, probably one of the main sports of an evening was on stressful TV. And it was always a snooker, wasn't it? So mm. you know, I used to watch it watch it at a young age and, and kind of got more of a buzz of it. I used to go to Pontins and Butlers with him on my dad. And oh, used to I always have like, Pontins. yeah, used to always have, a, always have a pro snooker player used to come for like an hour, hour and a half and yeah. play a famous snooker with someone, do some trick shots. And that's, you know, that, that was the old, the old people like to... You know, Probably John John Spencer, Cliff Wilson used to go there. Doug Mountjoy, Terry Griffiths, Willie thought they used to go and just do a couple of hours. And used to do each each um, holiday camp different days. Used to do like seven day seven days, but it, it doesn't happen anymore now because, as I said, it everything moves forward. You know, you look at there's more money in the game now. The players haven't got to do it anymore, have they? Because the sponsorship and things. And whereas yeah. years ago, same with football. As you go back 20, 30 years ago, football was the same. 
they'll do all kinds of stuff to try and get a bit of extra money. But the sponsorship involved in sport, and, and now they don't really have to do stuff like that anymore, which is unfortunate. As, as far as we know, none of the players on that rankings list are sneaking off to Butlins to do trick shots. No, <laughs> but they could be on the quiet. No. Did you do the Did you do the holiday camp circuit? I, I, I did. I used to. I had, I had a contract with Butlins at Wonder West World and Air that I, through the summer, and I used to go. I think yeah, it was I a Wednesday that. afternoon for an hour and a half. Mike's right for an hour and a half and play some frames of holiday makers. And I, I say it say it started at three o'clock to half four. I arrived at two fifty nine and left <laughs> at four thirty one. <laughs> I suppose it's easy to forget, but Big Break was on like Saturday night prime time telly was mm-hmm. half of it was just John Virgo doing trick shots. So it was a bit of a different age, to be fair. It was, but I mean that that's why that's why people, you know, people used to follow us too, because when it was when it was on terrestrial television, yeah. you know, people used to the amount of people used to watch Big Break with Jim I think it was with Jim Davis and John Virgo. Yeah. And they had three I, I, I presume you were probably there as well, were you, Stephen, over the years? I did, we, I, did, we I, I actually did the Christmas special as well when I was, uh, me, Steve Davis and Dennis Taylor uh, were with Cinderella and Ugly Sisters. How, how I agreed to do that, I'll never, ever know. Have, have you ever watched Snooker Live, him, Mike? Have you been to a venue? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, went to, I, used, I go to the, um, the Welsh Open at um, London um, every year, so I'm going next year. I've got a month. I think I've got tickets for the first session on the Monday and the Thursday evening session, yeah. So I went a couple of years ago with my wife, so I dragged her along and Kind of stayed there. I think one one session went outside two o'clock in the morning. She was like, "When can we go?" I said, "I'll be finished in a minute." They kept like, "Oh, he's going to win this thing." Then, then he go, so, then he'd lose. It went on to like half past one in the morning, so she was bouncing. But no, I, I go as much as I can. If, you know, it's, it's only half an hour for me down to London. No, so. I'm going there on uh, in January. Got my tickets last week, actually. Mike, is, is there any way, rule you change in in, in football? I mean, it's a, I could maybe think of a couple myself in snooker, but anything. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough, it's a tough one with football because they're trying to trying to evolve all the time. But I think that you know the offside situation is a tough one, and we also had a few issues this year with one or two things. But that'll all change next year when they're being in the automated offsides, which which is all all done by machines and cameras, which will be a lot better. But I think if I don't think it should be an offside in the penalty area, I, mean, I just think it should all be attacking and more goals. But I think the FIFA and UEFA tweaking with this stuff all the time to try and make the game better. But sometimes they can tweak too much and, and it can go a little bit backwards, you know. Just, just every year, something changes every year. It's the same in every sport. They're trying to tweak things to make it better and to make it more exciting for people. But sometimes you just got to get back to basics really and just like don't fiddle with it too much. Just let one or two things fed into place. And I'm sure Snoopers are saying, you know, you guys probably. When you're playing every year, something new's coming in, and there's just different formats, there's different rules, there's different, you know, this, that, and the other. But it, it's just tough to try and take on board, and mm. it, it is, it is, t- it's, it's more, it's, it's hard, I think, for the older snooker players. If that makes sense, and again, probably for the older, older footballers because they've been used to stuff from like way back in their day. Whereas the new guys yeah. coming through now, they've had it from from when they first started playing, which is a lot easier for them to adapt to to, to new technology and new ideas, which is good. I've got I've got a tip anyway for refereeing. I remember Len Ganley uh, about uh, within the eighties and we'd been to the Far East and he got he'd, he'd brought this thing back from the Far East, uh, I think from Thailand. So we're at the UK Championship in Preston and someone in the crowd was being like, either rustling a packet of Chris or something, and he brought back one of these laser pens. And basically <laughs> lasered the guy in the audience. Just be quiet. <laughs> you get out in football refereeing, anyone's in trouble like miles away. Just more, like... more firm refereeing. I'd like to see people getting tasered if their phones go off. You'd soon see people put them onto airplane mode then. Did you ever um, did you ever have run-ins, Stephen, with referees or were you a bit too much of a sort of uh, 
were you more of a teacher's pet figure? I, I, I was. I, I was. I wasn't an arguer with refs. I must admit. And and as and I said, but back in the day, the likes of John Williams, John Street, Len Ganley, you didn't you didn't argue with these. If they said they said it was a miss, it was a miss. And yeah. they said like the ball's there. Len Ganley said like, no, the ball's there, son. Play it. The ball's there, son. <laughs> And yeah. you'd like, okay, I'll play it. So it's like referees now, I don't think, maybe have there's, – there's one or two, but they don't have quite, I think, the authority that, that, they, that they had in, in, in the, sort of, the sort of good old days. Yeah, I think sometimes when I watched the snooker years ago, as you said, the, the people you just mentioned, then, Stephen, you knew all the refs, if you know what I'm saying, because mm. there, the, yeah, there, there, there was a smaller pool. Whereas yeah. now, obviously, I went to, to Wales, but there's a couple of uh, female refs, obviously, that, that mm. they're doing, a couple of other guys, and then – Every time you see the games on the TV, even watching the stuff this week in Northern Ireland on, on Eurosport and stuff, that I, I don't recognise any of them. It seems to be a different person every week. It's, yeah. uh, obviously, the, yeah. pool's, the pool's a lot. The pool's a lot bigger. I get that because yeah. there's obviously more tournaments around the world now. Whereas years ago, it was it's pretty uh, yeah. home-based one. It years ago, you know. So I kind of understand that, but there's no no continuity between them all because they're all they're all different different in what they do, aren't they? Yeah, Stephen, you you hinted you'd change a couple of rules in snooker. Is there anything in particular? You got in mind. I'd like to see some tournaments where you where, where when the frames mathematically won, it's over. One of the one of the things that really annoys oh, me is pet here, peeves, isn't it? When is, oh my god, you get snookers. fifteen twenty minutes of playing for snookers, and it's like just and, and and I'm sure the TV people don't like it because I mean I'd love to know the figure over a seventeen days of the World Championship, how much time is wasted with people playing for snookers. Now I don't mind you play for one snooker, that's fair enough, but four or five snookers. And if, as commentators, we were saying, oh, my God, like, yeah, we're, we're I, praying for them to pot that ball to win the frame completely. Next time I see Selby trying to chase down four or five snookers, I'm going to have a mental image of you just, like, sneaking out of the commentary box. Going well, you, you could tell because I go quiet all of a sudden. I don't have yeah. a lot to say. <laughs> Before we started doing this, I always assumed it was just, you know, the tension and you were concentrating on the tactics. But it turns out you just can't be asked. But when it gets to that stage. <laughs> <laughs> but, to, but to be fair, to, but to be fair, Stephen, the, the snooker players now, they're a lot more... A lot more skillful. They can they can do a lot more, can't they? What they could do 15, 20 years ago by trying to get out. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, when Stephen was good. Yeah, but, but they but they can, can't they? They, are, they, they? they can control the cue ball a lot better now than what they could do way back. So I, I kind of understand in a way why they're going. And that wasn't that was no disrespect to you, by the way, Stephen. No, 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 I, 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 I totally agree because at the matches that I play now. Um, the, the safety play of these players I'm playing, in, even in qualifying rounds, it's just improved so much in the last, as you say, last 15 to 20 years. It's incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, back in the day, nobody would win a frame needing a snooker hardly. It, it, it would hardly ever happen. Now now you see frames one, two, three snookers. But as I say, it's it's, it's not the, the kind of snooker I like to watch, but um, it's yeah, part it's, of it. It's not... It's not when it's set off past 10, 11 o'clock at night and you think, so oh, come on, just win the frame while I go to bed and play it for another <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm glad you said it, Mike, because it wouldn't be an episode of Snooker Club unless we undermine Stephen's career in some way. <laughs> Normally he does it himself. <laughs> so, Mike, obviously it's a huge difference. The fitness involved is obviously a huge difference, but you fancy yourself as a snooker referee? No, it's just too quiet for me. I, I like a bit of noise. I like to be, like, like stuff going on all the time. I couldn't be, couldn't be quiet, mate, all the time. Couldn't be quiet. I'd be talking to the crowd. <laughs> So much of the crowd all the time. So, but no, it's it's something that all, all the people have got involved. I, I know, you know, when football referees have finished, a few have gone to be uh, cricket umpires, which is which is quite good to try and stay involved in the in some kind of game. But no, it wouldn't be for me. I'd be too. Um, I wouldn't have the patience, as you say, the way for three or four things. I'm like, just just hit the ball, just hit the ball. We want to go. It's going on too long. You know what I mean? All right, Mike. Well, we've come to our legendary. Um 
quiz segment. I'm going to say legendary. I'm the first person to call it that. We have had um, some interesting performances. Eddie Hearn racked up the first double-figure break, but we're still waiting for a, a truly impressive break. Basically, it's red on your specialist subject, which is uh, refereeing, and then you can choose green, blue, or black. Green would be just general football. Blue, general knowledge. Black is snooker. How are you, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, let's give it a go. Why not? It's only a bit of fun. You've only got to just knock in some... Well, knocking some reds to get your confidence up. We'll start you off with the first red. 147 seconds on the clock, as usual. Are you ready to play the quiz, Mike? Yep, there when you are. Here we go. Uh, so, in what year did you officiate your first Premier League game? Uh, 2000. It's correct. Straight away on the board. So, uh, green, blue or black? I will go green to start with. Uh, which player holds the record for the most goals scored in a single Premier League season? Uh, I'd say Haaland. It is Haaland. Straight on to four points. Back to Reds. Uh, exactly how many Premier League matches did you officiate? 560. Very good. I don't wow. think anyone's put a, a start together like this before. But once again, you choose a colour. I'll stick with green. Uh, what club did Jurgen Klopp manage before he joined Liverpool? Russia Dortmund. Very, very good. This is a this is some break. It's impressive. Um, you got to go for a snooker question, surely. <laughs> well, in a minute. <laughs> yeah, guts for glory. Which player scored the winning goal of the 2010 League Cup final, Arsenal v Birmingham? Ah, oh, the. Uh, Presumably, you're reffing that one. Otherwise, it's a bit of an. I was reffing. Yes, the Birmingham Birmingham one one nil. The guy got Birmingham some stuff into yeah. No, I have to pass on that. Tough one. Obafemi Martin's got the. Oh one. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, another red. Which this is a good stat. Which player did you send off for your 100th red card? Ashley Young. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Just imagine you open a bottle of champagne with with him as he walks off. Um, I, I couldn't possibly tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've gone for blue. I have a blue. I'll try blue. He's gone for blue. Um, in what year was the first Rocky film released? If you can get within two years, it counts. Seventy-seven. I'll take it. Seventy-six. That, oh, let's say within amazing. two years, it's gone in off the post, but it's in. Um, which Premier League ref, back to Reds, which Premier League ref gave the most red cards last season? Last season. Last season. Oh, dear me. I'll say Taylor. It was Anthony Taylor. Very What's good. Really? That's a good, <laughs> that was a good guess. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. That was a good uh, guess. I'll go blue again. No, sorry, I'll go black. I'll go black with your sample. I'll go black. Here he goes. This well, they've already got an impressive score. Judd Trump and which other player has won the most ranking titles in 2023 so far? The most ranking titles in this calendar year. Three in total. Brissell. It's Sean Murphy. Oh, Sean Murphy. The black won't go down. And Mike Dean, you have scored a break of 15, by far the highest score in this segment of the show so far. Congratulations to Mike Dean. Top of the leaderboard. The biggest biggest break I've had in snooker for something like that. <laughs> impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> Pleasure to talk to you, Mike. Good luck with all of your... Uh, well, good luck with finding things to referee where you're allowed to talk as much as possible. Take care. Okay. Yes. Cheers, Mike. We've talked all about Judd Trump. Um, we've seen Mike Dean make history on the quiz. Um, we've <laughs> talked about sorts of stuff, actually. We've run down Stephen a little bit, as usual, and that's pretty much all from us this week on the Snooker Club. Please remember, if you haven't already, to download, leave us a review... Uh, all this is very much appreciated and um, and a nice review is good for our ego as well. The best clips from the show um, are available to watch 
on YouTube. Just search for World Snooker Tour and you can make your own mind up about whether we're smart enough to be uh, hosting a podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, the contact to show via snookerclub at wst.tv. Next week, tune into the 147, your fortnightly roundup from WST. Mark and I will see you in a couple of weeks. See you later. Look forward to it. Bye for now.